great to see you uh, in the house today. And if you're worshiping online, thank you so much for worshiping with us uh, today. Hey, uh, why don't you get your Bible and open up with me uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 7. 1 Samuel chapter 7 in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one in the rack in front of you, and we'd love for you to use that one as well. Take it with you if you don't have one. 1 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, the, the church that I pastored in Oklahoma many years ago had a, a very distinct event in the church's history that kind of marked that church. The, the event was a fire. In fact, when you go back and talk about church history, they always talk about before the fire period, then after the fire period, it was the demarcation in that, in that church's history. And uh, I, I remember them talking stories about in the 60s when the church burned down and they had to rebuild in the location and so on. No one really knew how the fire started other than they knew that, that it supposedly started in the pastor's study, but it was still quite a mystery as to what happened. Uh, and this mystery continued on for several decades until, um, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, the receptionist at the church received a phone call, and she could tell it was an older man on the other end of the line. And he said, I just want to confess that I am the one that started the fire. He went on to, in kind of a broken voice, choking back tears, talk about how he was a young boy and he was playing with matches, and somehow the, the matches caught the church on fire, and he had carried this guilt with him for over 50 years. All of his adult life, he had carried the guilt of being the one that burned the church down. And, and when the receptionist just listening to him and was offering forgiveness, said, hey, don't you want to talk to our pastor? Don't you want you know, to talk to somebody in the church? He goes, no, 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 I don't want anybody to know who I am. And then click, he hung up the phone. You know, I, I often think about this man, even though I don't know who he is, that, you know, he was, he was wanting somehow to, to get this off of him, right? I mean, he had been carrying this heavy weight for 50 years, and, he'd, and the weight of guilt and the weight of shame over what had happened, even though he was just a young boy. And I think there are a lot of people like that, that uh, they carry things that they've done for a long, long time. In fact, you may carry that. There may be things that you just don't think you can be forgiven for, or you don't, you don't think you should be forgiven for, or things that you regret that you carry, and, and we long for a second chance, somehow to clean the slate and to start over again. And that's really what we're going to look at today. The title of the message is uh, a Second Chance at Life. And, and we're, going to talk, we're going to talk about the story of Israel, a wayward nation that got to the lowest possible point that they thought they could never get back, and yet how God gave them a second chance at life, and how he could do the same thing for you, and he can do the same thing for me. All right, so let's look at it. Uh, look open up to uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7, and we're going to begin at verse 2. 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning at verse 2. This is the word of God. Time went by until 20 years had passed since the ark had been taken to Kiriath-Jerim. Then the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. Now stop right there for just a minute. 
Let me just kind of catch you up to what's happened. Uh, last time, last week, we looked at Samuel, and he had delivered a very difficult message to Eli, the priest of Israel. And that message was that because of his corruption and the corruption of his sons that led the nation to be corrupt, that judgment was coming. The season of forgiveness was over, grace was over, judgment was coming. And so when you go back and read chapters 4, 5, and 6, the chapters we skipped over, that is all explaining what happened. That the Philistines came against the Israelites, and they went out and they fought them, and the Philistines won, and so the Israelites went back. Somebody had a great idea. Hey, why don't we go get the Ark of the Covenant? You know, let's bring that bad boy out, and God will like take them out in a heartbeat. And so here they come up with the Ark of the Covenant. The problem was God wasn't with them. God was against them. He was judging them for their sinfulness and their waywardness and their, the, them constantly ignoring his warnings. And so they continued to be routed, the Israelites did. And not only that, the Ark of the Covenant was taken from them and the Philistines took off with it. So a messenger runs from the battlefield, makes it all the way back to Shiloh where the priest Eli was there. He's an old man now, a rather large guy. He's sitting on a chair and he declares the terrible news that the, all of the, the warriors are dead and the Ark of the Covenant is gone and Eli, in his shock, falls off of his chair and breaks his neck and dies. And his, if that's not bad, that's a bad day, right? And, and if that's not bad, I don't know why I'm laughing, but there, there you go. It's in the Bible, read it. And uh, his daughter-in-law also uh, goes into labor because of the stress of it all. And, and as she births a child... She names him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. In other words, it was like the worst possible scenario that all their warriors were gone. His sons, the priests were gone. Eli was gone. The Ark of the Covenant, which was the presence of God to them, was gone. They were utterly decimated. It was the, the worst possible thing that could happen to them. Well... And later, the ark is returned. That's a story for another day. But the ark is not taken back to Shiloh. It's not taken back to a place where worship can happen. It's taken to a desolate hill. And it sits there for 20 years. So for 20 years, there's no sacrifice. There's no worship. There's no presence of God. Silence. For 20 years. And it says in verse 2, it says, in that terrible place that the whole house of Israel longed for the Lord. You know, sometimes God allows crisis into our life. God allows things into our life to draw us to him. Sometimes it's only in the crisis that we realize how far we've drifted and that we need to return back to the Lord. Sometimes it's only in the pain of maybe the consequences of our choices that we finally are on our back and we can only look up and say, God, help me. It's the prodigal son that ends up in the pit, right? And he says, I got to get back home. And sometimes God allows that to happen to us. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you know exactly what that's like to, to feel like God is far away, to feel like God does not listen and he is not with you and you feel alone and there's something within you that begins to long for the Lord. Here's the good news. Anytime you feel a longing for God, that's God at work in you. Isn't that great? 
Any desire that you have for him doesn't come from yourself. It's God beginning to stir your heart again to move you back uh, to him. And he was stirring the hearts of his people and he was bringing them back to him. How does that happen? How does God restore us? How does God bring us a second chance at life? How does that happen exactly? Well, we're going to see it right here in this passage. The first thing that happens when God begins to stir our heart is he calls us to come clean before him. Let's look at verse 3. All right, look at it. Verse 3. It says, Samuel told them, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, get rid of the foreign gods and the Asherahs that are among you. Dedicate yourself to the Lord and worship him only. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites removed the Baals and the Asherahs and only worshiped the Lord. And Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord on your behalf. And when they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out in the Lord's presence. And they fasted that day. And there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord, and Samuel judged the Israelites at Mizpah. You know, it's interesting that after the, in these 20 years, we don't really know what's happening with Samuel, right? It just says 20 years went by. There's like this time gap. We don't know what's happened, but now he shows up. And Samuel's acting as the prophet, right? The prophet is a man who speaks from God to the people. And he said, listen, it's time to return. In fact, this is one of Samuel's sermons, albeit short, it is quite uh, to the point and direct. And, and basically, here is Samuel's sermon. Number one, he says, you need to return, look at it, return to the Lord. By the way, this is a sermon of every prophet. If Samuel was the first prophet in the Old Testament, then all the other prophets took a play out of his playbook and preached his sermon. And every prophet always preaches the same message, return. You see it over and over, Hosea 6.1, let us return to the Lord. Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3.40, let us examine our ways, test them, and let us return to the Lord. Zechariah 1.3, return to me, declares the Lord, and I will return to you. Joel chapter 2 verse 13, return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting from evil. You hear the, the theme over and over and over and over and over? He's saying, listen, you got to return. If he's stirring your heart now, it's, what do you do is return to the Lord. If he's moving, if there's a longing for God at all in your life, then it's time to return. It's time to return to the Lord. Then he said, uh, remove foreign gods. Uh, the Asherahs and the Baals, these were male and female Canaanite gods. They were gods of fertility. They were gods of, of crop and harvest. Uh, they were gods of war. Um, and they had just slowly allowed these gods to kind of infiltrate their thinking and their practice. Oh yeah, they were worshiping God on the weekends, but then they were also just acting like anybody else. They were becoming increasingly secular there was no distinction between them and the Canaanites. And he said, you got to get this out. you got to remove this from you. And then thirdly, he says to set your heart on the Lord only. You see, this was really a heart problem. 
that their hearts had become divided. Their hearts had become wayward. They wanted to worship the Lord, but they also wanted to hang out with this group. They wanted to worship God, but they also wanted to live this way. And they were like, one, they were straddling the fence and wanting to live two lives at one time. And he said, listen, you need to return to the Lord. You need to get rid of these things and put your heart fully uh, in devotion to God. You know what? This, this sermon could be for any one of us, right? Any one of us. I was just talking with a group of guys uh, even this morning. And he said, uh, you know, the sad reality is that most Christians live just like anybody else. The only thing that is different is what they do on Sunday morning. How true that is. How convicting that is, right? Is your heart divided? Are you living one way Monday through Saturday and then another way on Sunday? Is there, is there a desire, you know, you want to worship God, but you also want to do your own thing and there's, there are areas of compromise and division in your own heart and soul? Are you becoming increasingly secular? His call was returned to the Lord. He said, I want you to meet me at Mizpah. So this was a, a, a little village. And so they met. The whole nation gathered at Mizpah. And he said, I'm going to pray for you there. And it says that they poured out water before the Lord. You say, what does that mean? Why, why are they pouring out water? Well, it's because in Lamentations 2 verse 19, it says, pour out your heart like water before the Lord's presence. And so it was just a symbol of God. I'm, we're just pouring out this water. We're just pouring out our heart, God. And there was this confession. Lord, we messed up, God. I've gone our own way. I, I, I've made a mess of my life. I don't want to do this anymore. They were confessing. They were crying out to God. They were pouring out their heart to the Lord. Listen, this is a first step at a second chance. You know, if you can't get to the point where you recognize that your own waywardness, then you'll never get to the point of being renewed by the Lord. It starts with the honest gut check of how far I've drifted from God. That's where it always starts. John Newton was uh, the man behind the, the song Amazing Grace, and he had a past. Many of you know that story. Uh, he was a slave trader. He was just a wild party kind of guy, very wayward, very hardened by the world. And uh, God got his attention. He was saved, miraculously saved, and uh, wrote, uh, of course, Amazing Grace. Went on to be a pastor. He wrote, authored many pastoral letters. And one of the things he wrote in his letter to a church member was this. He said, you have one hard lesson to learn. And that is the evil of your own heart. You know something of it, but it is needful that you should know more. For the more we know of ourselves, the more we shall prize and love Jesus and his salvation. Isn't that true? He said sometimes we have, we have to get to the point where we go, you know what? I, I know the depth of my own heart. And I know how far I can go. And I know what I have done. And that is actually a good thing because it drives me to Jesus for forgiveness and renewal. Sometimes the worst thing you can say is, oh, it's not okay. It's okay. It'll be all right. No, no, no. Sometimes we have to deal with the depth of our own sin. And what Israel is doing here is they're dealing with it finally. It's been 20 years coming. 20 years. They've waited and they waited and they waited. And finally now, the spirit is broke, broken through and they're on their knees and they're crying out to God. And God is hearing them. But something is about to happen that is unexpected. Uh, look at it with me, verse uh, 7. 
It says that when the Philistines heard that the Israelites had gathered at Mizpah, their rulers marched up toward Israel. And when the Israelites heard about it, uh, they were afraid because of the Philistines. And the Israelites said to Samuel, don't stop crying out to the Lord our God for us so that he will save us from the Philistines. Then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now you get what's happening. Here they are. They're crying out to God. They're coming clean before the Lord. They're, they're finally uh, at their place of brokenness. And uh, all of a sudden their enemies say, you know, all those Israelites are gathered in one spot. Maybe they're mustering for some kind of uh, assault. Maybe they're trying to rebel against us. Let's go show them who's boss, right? So they start marching up toward Mizpah. And they're like, oh, here they come. And here's Samuel praying. And they're afraid, which by the way, hit the pause button on the story. You know, I find it so appropriate that, uh, that as they were getting right with God, they were under attack. And listen, I just know, just as a pastor, I've seen this over and over and over, that the minute somebody really starts to come close to the Lord, man, they're convicted of their sin, they really want to draw close to God, then all of a sudden you start seeing people attacking them, right? Uh, I'll see their friends, oh, dude, don't be getting religious on us now, man. Man, it used to be so much fun. And now look, you just want to study your Bible. How boring is that? You know, friends don't really want to hang out with you anymore. Maybe your, your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend, little, oh man, why are you going doing that now? Because now I feel guilty because you you're not doing the things you used to do anymore. Maybe even parents aren't supportive. Oh, she got religion, but I don't really get it, or he did, or whatever. Uh, it's, it's very common that when you begin to really seek after God, that you're going to find some resistance. Not everybody's going to stand and give you an, an ovation, right? But here they are. They're getting right with God, and they're under attack. And, and look, at, look at what happens. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 should be underlined in your Bible, okay? It should be circled, starred, highlighted, all right? Look at verse 9. Then Samuel took a young lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And he cried out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. You, do you see what is there? Jesus is there. Do you see him? This is a foreshadowing of Christ. This is an Old Testament appearance uh, or type of Jesus. Look at it. Here is Samuel, and he's offering up a, a lamb, a spotless lamb unto the Lord. Samuel understood that there could be no reconciliation with God without a sacrifice. Somebody had to pay, and so this one lamb was sacrificed on behalf of all the sins of the people. All the sins of the people were put on this one innocent lamb, and this lamb died. And that foreshadowing comes to Complete fulfillment with Jesus. When Jesus came, the John the Baptist called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That when Christ came, that he not only came to show us the Father, but he came to deal with our sin problem. And on the cross, all the sins of all time were put on him. The innocent Christ, and he suffered in our place, in your place, for our sin, that, so that we could be reconciled to God. Folks, this is a gospel. This is a gospel. 
He died in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin, that is Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. There we see the gospel, Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain for us. But that's not all. Look at verse 9. Earn on the words he cried out. Samuel here is crying out for God to forgive them. Even while they're under assault, Samuel is offering and he's crying out. He's interceding. He's an advocate for these wayward people that for 20 years had rejected the Lord. Now he's crying out to God that he would forgive them. And this also is a picture of Christ, who is our advocate, who stands in our place and cries out, to the Father. Listen to these words. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, My little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the whole world. Do you get that? It said not only is the work of Jesus to die and by his, uh, by his death, his blood atoning and, and satisfying the wrath of God against us, but he also intercedes as our advocate. He's like a, uh, he's like a defense attorney, all right? You're on trial. The evidence is stacked up. It's clearly obvious that you have violated God. You deserve judgment. And as the gavel is coming down, your advocate, Jesus, stands and he says, Father, I am, am here on their behalf. I have paid the price for them. Look at the scars on my hands. Let them free. It is paid in full. That's the gospel, folks. That's the gospel. That's why we call it good news. That is why we call it good news. By, what, by the way, this is the only way you can possibly have a second chance at life. It's because Jesus, your sacrifice, Jesus, your advocate, has paid for it on your behalf and on my behalf. You see that here in Samuel, Hebrews chapter 7, verse twenty. Five says, therefore, he is able to completely save those who come through him, for he is always interceding for them. Did you know that even right now, Jesus is interceding for you? Even now, in your heartache, in your waywardness, even when you think you can't be forgiven, when you messed up too bad, when your past is too dark, that Jesus, the advocate, Jesus, the righteous one, Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, is interceding for you. Look at verse 10. It says, And Samuel was offering the burnt offering. The Philistines approached the fight uh, to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day and threw them into much confusion that they were defeated by Israel. And the men of Israel charged out of Mizpah, pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to the place below Beth Car. So Samuel is crying out, and it says God thundered. We're not sure what that means, if that was like, you know, like the sound of thunder, or if it was an earthquake, or both. I don't know, God just showed up, right? And threw them into confusion, and, and, and then the Israelites were able to push them back, and no wonder they called him Savior. 
See, the very moment you cry out to God and confess your need for him and cry out to him and your advocate takes his place uh, to intercede for you, all the charges against you are dropped. All the uh, uh, accusations of, of the enemy are gone. Everything is made new when you come to Jesus. When you cry out to him, he's the God of the second chance. But listen, this is not how the story ends. That'd be a great spot to end the story, right? Uh, but there's still a little bit more here. So check this out. Look at verse 12. It says, afterwards, Samuel took a stone and set it upright between Mizpah and Shin. And he named it Ebenezer, explaining, the Lord has helped us to this point. So the Philistines were subdued and did not invade Israel's territory again. The Lord's hand was against the Philistines all Samuel's life. The cities of Ekron and Gath, which they had taken from Israel, were restored. Israel even rescued their surrounding territories from the Philistine control and there was also peace between Israel and the Amorites, and Samuel judged Israel throughout his life. Stop right there. Samuel took a stone. After all was done, once the dust had cleared, Samuel took a stone, a memorial stone, and he set it upright. And he called this stone, or named the stone, Ebenezer. Now, the song we just sung earlier in the service, Here I Raise My Ebenezer, that's, this is the story from which that is found. And the word Ebenezer means my help. Sometimes it's translated the stone of help, or he is my help. But really what it is is a memorial to say that God has helped us. Now, why did he do that? Why did he put this stone up in this way? Well, I think there are two reasons. One is this. One is that it was a reminder of all that God had done. So that when generations would come later and say, Daddy, why is there this stone right here in, the, in this field? What happened? He'd say, oh, let me tell you how the Lord heard us when we cried out to him. And let me tell you how he thundered against our enemies and how he saved us. Let me tell you what he has done. Let me tell you the story. Let me tell you what. We have to be, listen folks, we have to be good stewards of our stories. And we need to tell them well and tell them often. You need to tell your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren the stories of how God rescued you. The stories, yes, of your salvation and how you heard the gospel and how you turned to faith in Jesus. The stories of how God has intervened in your life and how God has provided and cared for you. The times when you were at your lowest point and the Lord brought you out of it. We need to be good stewards of our stories because in our stories we stir up faith in the next generation. We stir up a desire for God because the same God that is with you is the same God that will be with them. I remember telling um, my oldest daughter, we were talking about uh, just her life in New York City and the ministry that she had. And, and, uh, and I said, listen, you know, God has been so faithful to provide for me and your mom. I mean, I can tell you story after story of if we get down to, <laughs> you know, the bill's there and we're not sure how we're going to pay it, you know, and things like that. And God would just supernaturally provide. And I said, you know what? It's not enough for you to hear our stories and trust God. God wants to give you your stories 
of how he's provided for you. And the way that our children and grandchildren learn to trust God is by hearing how we trusted the Lord. So be a good steward of your story. Maybe this week, around the table, go around and tell your story. How did you come to Christ? Tell me, tell us a time when God moved in your heart. Reach all the way back there. Pull the stories out again. Tell them over and over and over. But then this all, the stone also reminds them that their greatest failures can turn into their greatest victories. You see, this stone that he put up, he put it in a special spot. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 5, verse 1, what you'll learn is that he put this stone in the very place where they had been defeated 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier, remember when the ark was taken away, when everything collapsed, when it was terrible, the place of their greatest failure now becomes a place of their greatest victory where God shows up and he put a memorial there to remind them that even your darkest moments of your past can be a great opportunity to glorify God. That, that your, your pain of your past can now be a platform to, to glorify God. Then look at where I was and look at what God has done. The, the misery of your past can be now your ministry to others. That God is a God of second chances that reclaims our sinfulness and our waywardness. And even uses that to glorify him if we trust him with it. Isn't that good news? That is such good news. Listen, and then he said this. He put the stone up. It's called Ebenezer. And then he said these words, the Lord has helped us up to this point. The Lord has helped us up to this point. What he meant was this. Any good thing in your life is because God has helped you. Any blessing in your life, any way that you have come through, any favor that you experience, any goodness any blessing is not because you earned it or you deserved it, but every good thing in your life right now is because you can stand and look back and say, only the Lord has done this. The Lord has been with us up to this point. He's the one that carried us through. He's the one that has blessed. He's the one that's honored us. And from this point forward, we can trust him to do it again. That's the God of a second chance. That just as he has reclaimed us in the past and helped us, we can trust him for today. And we can trust him for our future. Whenever I think about this story, I think about that man on the phone call to that receptionist. He was confessing what he needed was a second chance. What he was looking for was a second chance. But he hung up too quick, too soon. You know, sometimes I think about what if he had stayed on that line? What if he had talked to the pastor? Maybe what if he had met the pastor? Maybe what if he had heard the gospel? That Jesus could forgive him and restore him. What if he had been baptized in that church that he burned down 50 years earlier? To the thunderous applause of the congregation loving him. What if he had experienced the hugs and, and, and forgiveness and embrace of the people in that church that would have surely longed to do that? What if he would have served the Lord there? What if he could have told his story of how God could redeem anyone because look at what he'd done in his life. Think about what could have been in his life if he hadn't hung up too soon. My friends, don't make the same mistake. If right now there's a longing for the Lord, 
if he is stirring your heart, that's him. That, that heart beating saying, I got to get right with God. I need to get right with God. That is the Lord drawing you right now. Now's the time to cry out to him. Now's the time to return to him. And he will give you a second chance at life. Why don't you bow your heads with me for just a minute. Maybe right now God's moving in your heart and you know you need Christ. You need to be forgiven of your past. You want to start over. And you've heard the gospel that Jesus died in your place. He was the Lamb of God. That he is even now moving in your heart, drawing you to him. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And if you are feeling drawn to the Lord right now, that is Jesus, your advocate, drawing you, saying, I will cover your sin. I will forgive you. I will make you new. Don't push him away. Don't push him away. Don't say no. Right now, you can start over. Right now, you can have a clean slate. Right now, you can be forgiven. You say, well, Craig, what do I do? Well, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer of saving faith. And with your heads bowed, eye closed, nobody looking around. Hey, if you, if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. I just want you to lift up your hand and I will pray for you. And right then, you can ask Christ right where you're seated into your life. Right now, lift up your hand. Pastor, pray for me. I need Christ in my life. I, I, I've never asked Jesus in my life before. I need to now. I need to be right with God. I know my sin. I know my waywardness. I need Christ. Lift up your hand right now. Pastor, pray for me. All right. Okay. All right. Okay, anybody else? All right. Lift up your hand. Pastor, I need Jesus. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. One more time. Anybody else? Lift up your hand where I can see it. All right. Okay, you can put your hand down. Just right where you are. Just pray the simple prayer with me. Dear Lord, I know I've sinned against you. I know I've lost my way. And it's been a long time. but I need you now. Jesus, I believe that you died for me and rose again for me. And so I'm calling on you now. Please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Please make me a new person. Today I turn from my sin and I turn to you, Jesus. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for forgiving me. Father, I thank you for your unfailing love for us. Thank you that even in this Old Testament story, we hear again the gospel of Jesus, the good news. That no matter how far we've gone, no matter how long it's been, that we can still come back home that we can still be made right with you. And Lord, I thank you for those today, either online and those in this room that have turned their hearts to you. God, I pray you would root them and establish them in you. Lord, I pray you grow them strong in you. And Lord, I pray that we would walk as forgiven people, renewed people today, and that we would share openly all that you've done for us, Lord. Thank you 
that you're God of second chance, third, fourth, a thousand chances. God, your mercies never end. Your mercies are new every morning. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name.